0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Just a warning. The episode you're about to hear contains some strong language. So, buckle up. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates, and this is Code Switch from NPR. Unapologetically black. It's a phrase that I hear thrown around a lot, but in practice, what does it actually mean?
2: It's a long process of unlearning and learning to de-center the feelings, gaze, fears of white people.
1: That voice you just heard, it belongs to actress and author and businesswoman Gabrielle Union, She sat down with Jay Williams, the host of NPR's newest podcast called The Limits. And she got real about many of the different things she's dealt with as a black woman. Pressure to look a certain way. Scrutiny about how to raise her kids and how to navigate her very public marriage to NBA star Dwayne Wade. How to deal with fertility issues when you're surrounded by the narrative that black women shouldn't have any trouble conceiving. And the message over and over again, that she should somehow be able to balance it all. But as I got older, you
2: know, as I say, I my basket of fucks had been full. It was <laughs> overflowing. I had to get extra <laughs> baskets, you know, to carry all the fucks that I, I gave. Um, but around, you know, 40, I just emptied them out. I don't give a fuck. You know, when you've survived the worst and public humiliation upon public humiliation and yet you're still standing and you're still thriving and you're still you know succeeding yeah you feel like the freaking avengers and it's like try me if you want to but i wouldn't
1: don't worry miss union we will not today on code switch we're bringing you this bonus episode and trust you are in for a treat with this one
3: welcome to the limits i'm jay williams Listen, you better be taking notes, because I know I did. This one that's about to drop is a masterclass. You see, Gab, as I call her, or Gabrielle Union, has been through it. She has learned the hard lessons. She has survived, in her words, the unsurvivable. And now, after all that, at 49 years old, she knows who she is. She knows what's important to her and what isn't what to focus on, and what to ignore. That, my friends, is real growth. Figuring your shit out. Living and speaking your damn truth. But to get to that place, you gotta see your limits for what they actually are. And do something about them. I first met Gab years ago. Today, she's an actress, a producer, an activist. She's got a clothing line a hair care brand, and a company making healthy snack food for kids. She's also a mom, and she's married to my friend and former NBA star, Dwayne Wade. She calls him D. Their relationship and their struggle to start a family is one of the many things Gab has opened up about in recent years. She's done that in a couple of books that have been New York Times bestsellers. You heard me correctly, a couple of books. Both are brutally honest about her life her marriage, surviving miscarriages, and her journey with surrogacy. I love the titles too. The first book from 2017 is called, We're Going to Need More Wine. Stories that are funny, complicated, and true. Then last fall, she did a follow-up called, You Got Anything Stronger? It's the kind of question you ask your bartender when you really want to get vulnerable and dive in deep with an old friend. That's exactly what we did. Here's my conversation with Gabrielle Union.
1: Happy New Year, man.
3: How have you been?
2: You know, a little bit of everything. A mm. little bit of everything. I've been amazing. I've been exhilarated. I've been depressed. I've been anxious. I've been sad. I've been, yeah, all of it.
3: It sounds <laughs> like you're like being like, fully human, right?
2: It, yeah, and I'm I'm allowing myself to go through all of the things. It's a freaking pandemic. We're all just kind of handling it and surviving any way we can.
3: Yeah, we are. I I had to kick this whole thing off with um, a state of appreciation and gratitude to you. And you may not even remember this. Um, for me, I went through something life changing in my life, and I was on TV. And I was dating somebody in which I was in the public eye. And I was having a challenging time just with my own self-identity, being in the public eye, really not knowing who I was, right? And I'll never forget, we were at poolside, you and I and some other people were having a drink and you said to me, just be you, you are enough. I don't even know if you remember this, Gab, because it was back in the day, but it was one of those monumental moments in my life where things really slowed down. Because I started to say to myself, okay, like maybe maybe I am enough, and I just I wanted to say thank you. That was a long time ago, and I know we're in 2022 now. And every time I've seen you pass, and I never got a chance to really give you that appreciation, that thanks. And I just wanted to take a moment to do that off the bat.
2: Oh my gosh! I'm now I'm like, who were you dating? Where were we? Was this Miami? Was it when we went to go <laughs> see Jay Z in the in concert? I'm trying to think of when this was, but I'm glad in my. Probably tipsy state that I was able to, you know, be of service. But when you've survived and gone through the things that I've survived, you come out. Well, at least I came out um, a lot more compassionate for other people. And um, you know, when you see people struggling, and it and it uh, kind of also feels like you're holding a mirror up to you as well when you're addressing. Somebody else and trying to offer a little comfort. Um, mm-hmm. It was probably something we both needed to hear.
3: Well, I just uh, I thought I was doing a good job at faking it at that time, but you saw right through my soul, and I just I wanted to say thank you. And uh, speaking of that, you you posted on your IG, which you're an incredible follow, by the way, very entertaining and very funny and very real and authentic. But you had a very reflective post on New Year's, and you wrote, "I felt like I turned." To dust in 2021. And I was circling the drain with a smile and a wave. Can you tell me what you meant by that?
2: I don't know what it is for the last couple. I know what it is. It's a freaking pandemic and, all, and, and the world not wanting to slow down or shut much less shut down and having to be all things to all people and, and hoping for reinforcements that sometimes never come. And I just couldn't collect myself. I was in too many... Tiny little pieces scattered, and any little thing, whether that was you know Kav gets up late and is like late to get to school, or um, you know I have an argument with my husband, or something isn't right at work, and I just I just couldn't I just didn't have it at all. Um, but what it looked like to the outside mm-hmm. was nothing nothing to see. Uh, hey guys, you know, and you 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 cover, and and so when I say I was circling mm-hmm. the drain, like I'm. I'm not okay.
3: That's um that really connects with me because there's so many times in my life where I have so many things going on and my wife and I talk about this gab. I don't know how she does everything. Like I am I talk to her all like we are as men, we come nowhere close to you as women. And and the amount of things that you're able to balance, being a mother, being an author, being somebody who's on TV, speaking about Black rights and how it is to be a Black woman in a white-dominated world. How do you balance all that?
2: Well, I'd like to refer to my chapter uh, in um, You Got Anything stronger? Yes, called Fuck Balance. Um, because <laughs> balance is some... Are we allowed to cuss? Because I'm, you know, Jay, I'm a cusser.
3: You just did. Yeah. And it okay, worked. Okay.
2: Yes. So... It's a trap. Balance is a trap that was created. It's a concept that was created by the patriarchy to make women constantly feel like failures. It, it became crystal clear, um, realizing that no matter if I was, you know, talking about toothbrushes or, or clothes or, or, or civil rights or, or whatever, I was always tasked with answering, how do you balance it all? You know, (laughs) and, you know, and you try to come up with like BS answers or whatever. And then I I, I started paying closer attention to my husband's interviews. You know, in the NBA, you got to talk to reporters literally every single day. Too damn much. Exactly. (laughs) This man got full custody as a single black man playing in the NBA of two young children had multiple businesses, uh, entrepreneur, philanthropist, you know, community leader, all of these things, has a huge life, huge, huge life. And at no point did anyone ever ask him or expect him to have balance. He was literally never asked. And I realized all that they expect of men is to be good at one job and to make sure that the check clears, while cut to over with women, it's like, oh, how do you balance being a mother, a wife, a businesswoman? You know, I, you know, you better, you better be a sex pot. You better be a freaking Michelin chef. You better, you know, you better be the best friend ever. You better be the best daughter ever. You better be all things to all people and balance it perfectly. And I was like, nah, fuck that. Um, it's over. It's it's a trap, and I'm gonna call bullshit.
3: When did you learn that about yourself? Because obviously we all go through evolution, right? Like when did that moment happen? And can you bring us back to that moment?
2: Uh, I think I was listening. Um, Rachel Nichols was, was interviewing D at our house in Miami and uh, just, you know, with my life, I'm rarely around to, to actually physically be present for any of his interviews. I just read, you know, read it like everybody else. And that day I happened to be in town and, and, and I hid on the stairs and I was just listening. And, You know, Rachel said, well, you know, what's next or what, you know, what is your plan after basketball? And he said, to get therapy. Wow. And the world acted like he just said some of the most Yoda-like, profound, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Confucius-like stuff. And I was like, that's not actually revolutionary, but it kind of is. And way to go, babe. High five. But also... You know what? I gotta let myself off the hook. I have been needing help. I have been, you know, in therapy since 92. And there's a shame that I've always associated with needing help. And in that moment, watching him be praised for saying, I need, I'm gonna need help for this transition. Women go through transitions. All the time. You know what I mean? Whether that's when we first get our periods, when we're preteens or you know early teens, perimenopause, menopause, marriage, childbirth. And there's always this magical expectation that we're always going to just naturally know how to move through it with grace and ease. And that's just not real and it's not fair to expect that. And I just was like, mm, I'm, I'm opting out. <laughs> I'm opting out. And I've never felt more free in my life.
3: That's uh, that's an incredible moment. One of the things that I was so curious about you, Gab, is that you do these appreciation posts every Wednesday, right? It's your Woman Crush Wednesday post. And I've, I've seen you do this where you uplift other women. And I could tell through the passion that you put into that how how real that is, how authentic that is. What made you get to that point where it's like, I'm, I want to blast this out to the world about this woman is special and here's why?
2: Well, first and foremost, I, I love women. And part of this is women of color, especially Black women. We are maligned. We are um, demonized. Mm-hmm. We need to change. We need to assimilate our same exact features on another body. Ooh, it's exotic. Um, we need to be celebrated for all of who we are in our beautiful uniqueness
3: It sounds like in the operative word, assimilate, did you go through a process growing up of feeling like you always needed to assimilate?
2: So I grew up, I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, uh, The north side of Omaha is all black. Uh, It looks like any other Midwestern, you know, black community, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, you know, Milwaukee. Like we, I come from the largest black family in the state of Nebraska and one of the largest in the Midwest. Um, you know, I think this upcoming year we are on our 105th uh, annual family reunion that we have, second Sunday of every August. You know, so I come from a large, very proud um, Black family. My family moved to West Omaha when my dad got a raise. And so going from the the gentle embrace of my Black-ass <laughs> family to maybe not so much a gentle embrace from <laughs> this other community on the West Side— um, You realize very quickly that your skin, your hair, your nose, your lips, um, your your speech cadence, um, your family, um, your history are not welcome (laughs) at all. And the only way to be seen as good or worthy or deserving is to change is to constantly be shape shifting into the kind of Negro that does not scare white mm. people. And I I took that job like, you know, give me overtime. I was ready. <laughs> I, was, I was, you know, I was, I was so completely immersed and everything I did was about appeasing white people.
3: What's an example of that Gab?
2: Ooh, um what is, I mean, there's so many, uh, where, how I wore my hair, right. Yeah. With my family, I wore braids, you know, like cornrows and I had beads and, and all that. when I got to, you know, the all white school, it was ghetto. Mm. I begged my mom for a relaxer <laughs> at eight. Wow. And from eight years old, you know, until I became natural in probably like my twenties or late twenties, early thirties. I was so committed to presenting um, myself in a way that didn't elicit those kinds of remarks. I want my hair to be as straight um, and as acceptable and as professional and as uh, clean. You know, these are words, their words, not mine. Clean. Um, Clean. Clean. I wanted to be beyond reproach. I became the best student, straight A student. I became the best athlete i um, I allowed my friends to um, you know fr- you know frizz out my hair so I would do imitations of buckwheat. I would wow. be silent when people would um, malign black and brown people and Asians like i I said nothing. I was the kind of black friend that was so excited to be the black shield. Um, I'm not racist. I've got a black friend. I'm like, and that's me. <laughs> like, you know. And, and as I became an adult, I'm like, do I really love country music, or was that something I was doing to fit in? Did I really love? you know anthrax which was a band um, yeah, like a hard rock like, band hold on a or was that <laughs> yeah. do i really love you know uh singing southern confederate anthems you know like sweet home alabama around a bonfire drinking Paps blue ribbon do i really like that shit or is that what i was did i become what i needed to become to survive and it wasn't until i took professor hills african american studies class at ucla where you know i'm reading Uh, Dubois, and I'm reading um, James Weldon Johnson, Mm -hmm. and I'm reading, you know, like Baldwin and, you know, deeper dives into Maya Angelou and and reading Nikki Giovanni and Angela Davis, and I became aware.
3: You know, I think one of the things that I found to be so intriguing about this, and I don't know if you were ever told this, because I I feel like there's a lot of similarities with the way we were raised, but. I, I had people that said to me before, well, Jay, you're not, you're not really black. I am like, no, no, I really am. And being black to me doesn't mean being monolithic. It means I could be a variety of different things. So I'm curious as you started to find out who Gabrielle Union was as a black woman and what that stood for, how did you, what was that process like for you? What was that, that, that growth process for you?
2: It was I mean it continues to this day it's it's slow and it's heartbreaking and it's um exhilarating and it's exciting um, but it's a it's a long process of unlearning and learning to decenter the feelings, gaze fears of white people and letting it go. Who would I be without that? who would I be if i wasn't labeled um you're 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 the good kind of black Mm -hmm. and i don't like being anybody's pet and that's what it feels like that's what it felt like and that's what it feels like but it's been a slow process of unlearning and i mean to this day I, i i i catch myself like ooh, you got this big opportunity and it's like Okay, why is it big? Oh no, it's a, it's a it's a and again I'm using my finger quotes here. It's a mainstream project. Hmm. <laughs> well, please tell me about this mainstream project. What's mainstream and mean? why yeah, exactly? And 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 why I should be geeked to make pennies to be you know in a quote unquote mainstream project when I can be my full self. You know, on screen, off screen and be respected and I make more money and I, I I don't have to constantly be shape shifting. I don't have to stay quiet um, and be used as a black shield. Uh, Like none of it appeals to me anymore, you know, because it did. Cause it was like, okay, you gotta, you gotta build your, you know, your brand, you know, from the community. And then when you reach a certain point, then you abandon the community to then be, <laughs> you know, a pet that's then trotted out as the beacon of diversity, but you're the only one and gut. There better not be two of y'all. Hmm. None of it appeals to me. But when I have to think about it really did before, because I was conditioned to believe that you haven't really made it in Hollywood if you've only got Essence covers
1: mm-hmm.
2: or Ebony or, or Jet. If your own people, you know, love you and, and you, you good in every hood, you, you probably aren't as welcome in Hollywood.
3: So, yeah. Gabrielle Union had to come to grips with what race meant for her in Hollywood. But then, she had to figure out what it meant for her kids in their own lives. And just a warning, after the break, the conversation turns to an episode of sexual assault. You can skip over it by moving ahead about three minutes. I'm Jay Williams. You're listening to The Limits from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Here's a familiar situation.
3: fulfilled and free when you speak your mind gab what is it about where you are currently right now as a mother as somebody who's been able to accomplish what you have been able to in your industry that makes you feel that centered to speak on behalf of what so many people are going through on a day-to-day basis
2: i think the first time i really had to stick up for myself was at 19 Shortly after being raped at gunpoint at Payless Shoe Source, where I worked uh, my summer job during you know my freshman year before my sophomore year, wow! And I realized that they had gotten you know a you know a notice or an email uh, to change the price of shoes, but they were also armed with the information that a man was terrorizing and robbing uh, Payless Shoe Sources, and they knew he was a former employee. They had this information. And he had robbed several, and they knew exactly who he was. And they didn't share that information with us, but they told us to change the price of canvas shoes. <laughs> and I, I, I just blacked out. Like, my, my, my life, my actual life was not as important as some canvas shoes. And that's when I decided to sue them. I didn't have money. I'm, like, I don't come from wealth, you know what I mean, in that kind of way. Um, and I was, you know, a nobody. I'm 19. I'm a college student, and I, and I had enough. And I brought them to their knees, and they settled. And I realized, I can do something about the fuckery. <laughs> That we experience, and I learned that lesson at nineteen. I got fed up at nineteen when my dad had come to my little, you know, I, you know. In all fairness, I did not understand L.A. traffic when I chose my North Hollywood apartment while I was going to U.C.L.A. Look very close on a map. Um, hadn't really sat in L.A. traffic, and my dad had come down to you know help me set up my apartment, and he I'd gone to school and I came home, and he had rearranged my apartment, and I was like, what, 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 <laughs> you know. And he was like, well, as long as I pay the bills, you know, I can do what I want. (laughs) And at that moment, I was like, you will never pay for anything else. I took out student loans. And I have not asked for my my dad for a dime since 19 because I don't ever want anyone to hold money over me. I asked for a prenup with Dee because I didn't have one in my first marriage. And I had to write a big-ass check. And I was like, no, 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 thank you. Um, Because I don't ever want money to be the thing that controls me. And that has just lasted Um, But I also recognize that I am wildly privileged that I am married to a pretty wealthy man. So if I talk my shit and Hollywood's like, man, that's enough for you, Um, (laughs) I'm only falling but so far. You know what I mean? So I'm able to, and I recognize that privilege. So when I realize that there are voices that need to be heard um, but literally cannot speak because they need to actually feed their families – I try to lead, um, but I am at peace with with my truth i 'm at peace with speaking the truth i don 't you ain 't got to lie, Craig. <laughs> every time you lie, it makes people comfortable in their bullshit yeah. and I'm, i, I can 't do it anymore i 'm almost fifty and I'm like, mm, i 'm like i don 't care i don 't care i 'm gonna call a spade a spade. I'm going to bid my hand. Jay, you uh, know this. Yeah. I'm going to bid my hand. <laughs> you know, because in, in life, you know, in the spades hand of life, bid your book because sandbags is going to set you back.
3: So I am taking notes on this next question because I need to understand it for my own daughter. How do you translate that type of mentality to the next generation of young girls, your daughters? How do you teach them about that? Because obviously experience is the best teacher, but you hope that they don't have to go through the same experiences as you in order for them to learn.
2: For Kav, she is surrounded by Black women and Black people. Her school is—I I didn't even know this could be was possible. Um, it is majority minorities. Um, she has brown teachers. Uh, I had to make sure that wherever I put my child, who is freakishly intelligent, um, because she's soaking up everything, Yeah. and to make sure she's surrounded by good people, not you know, quote unquote, black excellence, which we just associate with black capitalism, but mm-hmm. um, real actual excellence daily and um, how we treat each other and how we treat other folks and how we show respect and how we um, uplift. But you, ha- I had to be purposeful. You can't send your, your black kids to, you know, PWIs, it's usually used for universities, but schools and be curious and like, well, you know, we teach black pride at home. Yeah, but it's not reinforced at school. You know what I mean? It, You know, our, uh, the boys in Miami, you know, um, the older ones, we sent them to a, you know, a school and the only black people they saw were the janitors. Hmm. And when there was an issue, because they were super cute when they first got there and they're little black kids. And then when they shot up in the sixth grade and they were, you know, tall as just as tall or taller than their teachers, then suddenly they became threats. And when one of their, you know, again, I'm using finger quotes here, friends, you know, kept singing the N-word in a mm-hmm. song, they were like, yo, stop saying it, stop saying it. And for weeks the kid just kept saying it. And he just said it at the wrong day. And <laughs> our kids reacted. And I was like, perfect. Um <laughs> You will not face any kind of, you know, discipline at home. And, but when we got to the school, it's like, how are you calling my kid a bully when there is another child that has been documented as repeatedly saying the N-word? Mm. That kid gets to be a kid and not labeled. My child, my black son is labeled a bully for, for rebuking racism. But when those schools are called the best, hm. Mm, Mm. for who for who
3: it's very insightful that you just said that because one of the things that my wife and i are going through is that we live in a predominantly white neighborhood and my wife is lebanese and italian and my daughter now is at this stage where she's like i don't i don't look like daddy i want to look more like mommy and i'm like no baby you are you are me you are me as well as your mom but people say, "Oh, she's so exotic or oh, she just look at that hair those those descriptions that come with that that automatically are signaling to her that she is drastically different than everybody else it, it's um it's just mind-boggling to me and I'm struggling to deal with it to be frank with you. I really am
2: I mean, I wish this was the first time I've had this conversation. you know, I have a lot of friends who um you know, have biracial children and and are in interracial relationships and marriages. And it's, it's hard and it's, it's a lifelong journey because at the end of the day, once your kids are in school, you, you don't spend the most time with them. They become a yep. sponge to friends, teachers, administrators, the people that they're with eight plus hours a day. You know what I mean? Once they join teams, if they join teams or whatever else they do, they're influenced by those people. And Though the messages that they get could be the opposite of what you're teaching, um, but it is important to remind, you know, children of our history, our beauty, our um, all the all the amazing things that blackness is, and that mommy and mommy or daddy were not running away from blackness when they found love or created you. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't feed into the messages that they're going to hear for sure outside of the house, that they're somehow different or better.
3: I know Zaya came out as transgender last year. Can you just tell me what that process has been like for you?
2: It's been a, it's been a journey. And I think because in our household, I am so immersed in the LGBTQIA community and have been, you know, since my mom took us to our first gay pride parade in San Francisco at eight years old, um, I was, I recognized my responsibility. Um, we knew Zaya was, you know, different uh, than Zaire and Davion, And um, she had different likes and wants and needs and, And it was, there was pushback, you know, initially within our household and it's a phase and, you know, why would you label blah, 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 Mm. And then when she labeled herself in third grade and, you know, first time she came out uh, to us as she was working on a project about identity. And, you know, at eight, it's like, all right, well, she's communicating to us and it's our job to make sure that she's able to move through this world with love and compassion and respect and protection And, you know, as she gained more language, um, and gained more access to her community, she was like, actually, I'd like to make an amendment to that previous statement that I am actually, (laughs) you know, um, a demi, you know, demi-sexual, that's a, a term for you, you are attracted to, you know, some people say the spirit or the personality or, you know, the soul of another being, and it's, it's not binary, um, you know trans girl, and but she said it so casually as I was literally on my way to meet with um you know her at her new at her new school um because we you know we moved the kids from Miami to l a and you know, so I like to go, I like to say scare the administration, but <laughs> make sure that people know that I'm going to be a presence um and don't fuck with my kid and uh, uh-huh. and they it was so they were like, okay, yeah, no problem. But, you know, over time, we just had to be very clear to all of our loved ones that this is who she is. This is who we are as a family. And you want to mess with one of us, you're going to take on all of us. And these are things, you you know, you got to say to your own family members. A lot of people had to, you know, catch up and educate themselves and, and uh, you know, learn Language that they'd never used before, where mm-hmm. they thought was "oh, it's so woke, you know, whatever. Um, no, it's it's not. It's it's things are updated, you know. In the same way, it is, you know, bad to say the N word, and we've evolved.
1: Yes, um,
2: you know, people just need to evolve, and there's new language, and that's that's it. You know, new language that is respectful. We just don't play any games. We can't, you know. Her very existence, her peace are not up for debate.
3: You can hear how Gab fights for her family. It's something she had to do since the very beginning. The context you need for this next part is that nearly a decade ago, before they were married, Gab had to endure a massive blow in her relationship with Dwayne Wade when he had a baby with another woman. What she says about that time now in hindsight. You're listening to The Limits from NPR.
2: The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today.
3: Turning to your second memoir, actually, you got anything stronger. The 2021 follow-up to your 2017 memoir, We're Going to Need More Wine, which was a great read, by the way. Um, But tell me what you've learned since accepting surrogacy as the right path for your family?
2: Oh, I learned that it's complicated. I learned that every surrogacy journey is different. I've since had a number of friends go the surrogacy route and none of our stories match, Um, that it can be fraught with um, feelings of worthlessness and a a detachment, um, and that you have to fight for the connection um, while... Your child is baking in someone else's womb um, and after they arrive, but ultimately where I've landed is in a place of gratitude um, but it did not feel that way at all
3: at all I mean how did you Gabby? how did, how did you fight for the connection I can't even imagine you're experiencing that through somebody else how did, how did you fight for that
2: you know sending our voice like recording our voices you know to, for her to to play, you know, to put headphones on the belly, and so Kav could hear our voices. Um, so when she was born, she would recognize us. Um, ha- sending playlists for her to play, you know, so she recognizes the vibe of our house, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So when my three-year-old is like, oh Angela Bowfield," you know what happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, and just making, just making sure that I'm, I don't float away. And so, you know, those times when I talk about turning to dust, there are times where I have to fight for the connection. Um, because it's easy to kind of become detached and not just from her, but from everybody. And, um, you have to fight for it, or I, I had to fight for it. And, um, but I'm, I'm extremely grateful for our surrogate. I'm, ex- I'm grateful that, I mean, literally the best thing that ever happened to me, um, Kafia James is, is here um, before Kav, you know, the best thing that happened to me was Dwayne and Kav is, is us.
3: What was the process like for you and Dwayne as a couple? I, I hear what you're saying for yourself individually and it was challenging, but what was that? What was that journey for you two?
2: I mean, D, D made some, uh, some decisions. Um, that uh, made my my whole fertility journey just fraught with fear, humiliation, shame, feeling like a loser, feeling like I'm not worthy, much less of motherhood, but of him. Like, it was just terrible. Um, so, by the time surrogacy was broached, I was anti. And... But he had seen how much I had put my body through the emotional, mental, physical, spiritual turmoil that I had been going through. And when he co-signed with the doctor about, you know, surrogacy, I felt betrayed again. Hmm. And, you know, it took a while to ultimately get to a place of agreement about the surrogate. Um. And it's like, you know, you still, to this day, you still fight and battle and talk to your therapist about, you know, (laughs) all of it, you know? And ultimately we came out stronger, but in the process, man, it was was brutal. And I did not think we would survive as a family. And thank God we did.
3: I do want to take a quick second to talk about shame, humiliation, because I've dealt with a lot of it, but not to this degree. And it's something that you wrote in your book, one of the excerpts that you wrote that totally went viral, Gab. Uh, One of the bumps along the way in your journey to parenthood with Dwayne was that he had a child with another woman during a rough patch in your relationship. And you wrote this, the advice I would give myself now is to leave, that me of today would not have stayed with him but would I be who I am now without that pain? Now, you wrote that, but what do you think people have mostly misunderstood or missed about what you were trying to say there?
2: Well, to the willfully ignorant, um, I think it's people's jobs to find uh, you know, clickbait and then to purposely misconstrue. Mm. You know what I mean?
3: Yes, that's fair.
2: But the thing that people kind of, don't understand is I have perspective now. You know, asking me shit when you're in it, you know what I mean? Like if you're trying to survive, you know, in your basement, you know, a tornado that's blown off the top part of your house and how are you surviving? You're like, bitch, I don't fucking know. You know what I mean? Like it's it takes a minute to, to assess the damage. And I can say confidently now I should have left because – I I don't need to be anyone's trauma mule to to prove that I am worthy and I am safe and that I am deserving of a big love in my life. But I didn't. At the end of the day, I didn't leave. Didn't go anywhere. And as we muddled our way through a lot of therapy later, daughter here. You know, actually, two daughters arrived around the same time in Zaya and in Kavia James, and I realized I have changed dramatically from eight years ago to now. And yeah, I can confidently say I should have left. Mm-hmm. I should have left. Um, and, and some of it is is a little tricky because I, it's not my story to tell. Yeah. Um, and maybe when Dwayne writes a different book or, or, you know, goes on Barbara Walters and you know, whatever, but I was in shock and I continued to be in shock. And then it was, I want to win. And it's like, win what? And now that I'm eight years in and a lot of therapy later, the only thing I won was my soul and my peace, but it, it was, it wasn't handed to me. And that's what I was trying to explain. So if you're in a relationship that is fraught with piss-poor choices Hmm. and decision-making, you don't have to be a ride-or-die or or a down-ass chick or whatever else we call women who withstand bullshit and stay and stand by your man and all that shit. You don't have to. It's okay to make the best decision for you. It's okay to save yourself.
3: So how'd you learn how to forgive, Gab?
2: You know, there's things that are continuous, you know, so you have to, there's, there's different things you got to be forgiving every day. You know what I mean? Um, that are triggers that take you back. So when I say, have I, you know, I'm not, of course it's for, forgiven to a degree, but every day we're human beings. Every day there's something that we do that triggers someone else. And you know we're not always in the right. You know I've 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 embraced real apologies. Hmm. I've embraced constantly making amends. It's not enough of like oh, I mean it, it, it happened. God, you know, let's move on. You know, oh, you know, as you know, a lot of people who've done bad things like to say. Um, no, I realize that forgiveness is 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 or can be lifelong, and and. I'm okay with that. You
3: talk a lot about, I've heard you mention the term, you have nerve, right? Like the nerve for you wanting to have a biological kid at a certain age, the nerve of you having fertility issues in a relationship with a younger man and so on. But when when you talk about nerve and audacity, it it takes a certain mindset, Gab. And I I feel like you've always had this mindset. And I don't know if it's because you were an athlete or all your experiences you've been through, but there's something inside of you that just feels like you are going to come out on the other end of something regardless. Of whatever, whatever anybody thinks. Have you recognized that about yourself? Have you ever felt that?
2: At different points in my life, when you survive the unsurvivable, um, yeah, you feel like a super person. And then life knocks you on your ass and you feel like a loser again. And you're like, there's no way I can survive. And then you look at you surviving. And then you, you feel like superwoman again. But then, you know, here comes life again. Um, so it's, it's, I don't want to say it's fleeting, but it, you know, comes and goes those, those feelings. But as I got older, you know, as I say, I, my basket of fucks had been full. It was <laughs> overflowing. I had to get extra <laughs> baskets, you know, to carry all the fucks that I, I gave. Um, but around, you know, 40, I just emptied them out. I don't give a fuck. You know, when you've survived the worst and public humiliation upon public humiliation, and yet you're still standing and you're still thriving and you're still, you know, succeeding. Yeah, you feel like the freaking Avengers. And you got all the, gym, you know, the, the whatever, the freaking Infinity Stones. <laughs> um, Yeah. And it's like, try me if you want to. <laughs> but I wouldn't.
3: Hmm. Is this what 40 is for you?
2: It is. It Hmm. is. And so I don't know what 50 is. I don't know if I'm just going to start fighting people in the street. I'm not sure, (laughs) but I'm going to be open to it. Uh,
3: Has sharing any of your fertility story very candidly and honestly, has there been any memorable or surprising outcomes from that? Have you, what kind of support have you gotten from the community and what kind of other stories Have you heard in which you've been able to form bonds to help you through that time?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Fertility is such a a shame-filled journey for a lot of people, but no one's talking about it. So the second I was public about all of it, it's like, girl, me too. It's the same exact way as when I spoke publicly about being raped. The amounts of me too, me too. This happened to me. This, this is, this is what I'm going through. This is what I survived. Um, the sharing of resources, um, different doctors, different therapies, different, you know, acupuncture, like all the things. Um, and then as people were, you know, uh, you know, DMing me or calling me emails, whatever, I, uh, I just started sharing as much as, as much, all the resources that I learned, I would just share. And now people have babies. And it's not my place to reveal who those people are. But there's, you know, because, they, again, there's so much shame for women and for families to not be able to to get it done. You know, like you failed as a woman. Like, what is your point as a woman if you can't give, you know, a man a baby or whatever? Um, and so, you know, a lot of those people don't, still to this day don't talk about it. But um, it's important to share information once you have survived something. You know, once... Once I've made it to shore, you know, you better send the boat back.
3: I know we've gotten into a very deep conversation about you as a human being, you as a mother, and all the things that you have survived and thrived through. But I think sometimes people forget that you were a boss. You know what I mean? Like you have so many things going on. If that's Bitsy Nutrition, if that's Flawless by Gabrielle Union Hair Care, if that's NY and Company Collaboration, Cheaper by the Dozens. I mean, you have so many things going on. Do you do you find it funny that people just seem to only look at you as D. Wade's wife, which I can't even I, I can't even fathom that thought.
2: No, because that's that's people. You know what I mean? Nothing a human being does surprises me anymore. When you've lived through all the things that I've lived through, nothing will surprise you. You know, insecure people, hurt people, people who just haven't found their path yet. It's, it's easy to throw jabs. Um, but what they aren't anticipating is me going down the rabbit hole of your life, ending up on your cousin's and grandmother's <laughs> pages, wondering how you arrived at, this, at these conclusions. No, um, she is. You know, and I realize that anybody who's ever come from my neck is not leading a life that I aspire to. And I'm not talking financial. I'm talking a peaceful, joyous, equitable life. So I, I, I get it. I get it. Cause I was that. So, I mean, God bless. You wish it wasn't going to happen, but no, I can't be tripped off, off freaking comments or headlines or clicks, you know, cause well, I think I,
3: gap, you know. I, I just see you right now doing that deep dive. I see you in the corner. I see you having a drink. It's like, I'm going to find out everything about you.
2: Oh, I, I go deep. Oh, I go deep. I go deep.
3: God, <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you. And, uh, I wish you nothing but love and continued success. And I hope we bump into each other again and please tell Dwayne, I appreciate him too. And I said hello.
2: No, I will. I will. And I have to say, I am so glad to hear that you, you know, are married and you have your family and you found peace. That makes me really, really, really happy.
3: Yeah. It's, it's funny. I For the longest time, Gab, I thought me losing out an opportunity to play a sport would be something that would be the end of me. And finding my wife and having my two children, I found out that's just the beginning of me. And uh, it's uh, so I just relate to everything you said because so much of your journey I can use to help my journey with my children and my wife as we navigate this crazy world. So thank you.
2: Yes, in the words of Antoine Fisher, or at least in the movie, (laughs) I'm still standing. I'm still strong.
3: (laughs) Hey, you have a killer week, Ab. I appreciate you. And we'll talk soon, all right?
2: Yeah, same here, man.
3: Okay, take care. All right, wait. Bye. The Limits is produced by Karen Kinney, Lena Sunsgeri, Barton Gerwood, Brent Bachman, Rachel Neal, Yolanda Sanguini. Our executive producer is Anya Grunman. Special thanks to Charlotte Riggi. Music by Romp Team We're back next week. Thank you to everybody. Let's keep it moving and stay positive. I'm Jay
1: Williams. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Satva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit s a t v a slash npr and save an additional two hundred dollars.
2: On NPR's
0: Throughline, we cannot function for twenty four hours without cobalt because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe.
1: Find NPR's throughline wherever you get your podcasts.